Hi, I'm Kelly Cervantes, and this is Seizing Life, a bi-weekly podcast produced by Cure Epilepsy. Today on Seizing Life, Carmen Zanier joins us to share her 34-year epilepsy journey and discuss her passion for mountain climbing, how she manages her health with this challenging hobby, and how climbing has inspired her to be public about her diagnosis and raise funds for epilepsy research with Cure Epilepsy's strategic partner, Epilepsy Canada. Carmen, thank you so much for joining us today. To kick things off, let's just get a bit of history. Tell us about how uh, epilepsy first entered your life. For sure, thanks. Uh, So I was about 10 years old and um, the first time I had a seizure, I was uh, getting ready for a friend to come over to study. We were gonna study social studies together. This was a big deal because I wasn't really allowed to study with friends at the time. My parents were teachers and so they're very like, you know, study time is study time and friend time is friend time. So anyways, I was hanging out in the front foyer of my parents' house and my friend was coming up the steps and that's when I first had uh, my first seizure. Um, It was only in my head. It was not like an outward facing seizure Um, and it felt a lot like I was floating. Um, It was very much like an out of body experience. Um, Like I was floating up towards the ceiling uh, further and further away. So it was a very strange feeling. I had never felt anything like that before. I've heard of people having seizures like that, where they have experience like that, but I don't think I've ever actually spoken to someone who has had these sort of out of body seizure experiences. And I I just, I can't even imagine how disorienting and especially as it, I mean, at any age, but particularly as a child, how scary that must have been. What was your reaction when it was over? And uh, did you tell your parents about it? Yeah, I definitely did tell them because it was scary. Your heart races um, and it was just so unlike anything I'd ever experienced before. So that night I told them in a way that was like more inquisitive than anything. Um, I don't I'm sure I was tired afterwards because that's typically what would happen. But I don't remember in that first instance if I was tired. Uh, I just remember being, you know, kind of weirded out that I had never experienced anything like that. And so I told them and. And yeah, that um, probably got them a little bit more on alert um, because it wasn't anything that they had heard of before either. Now, a few weeks after that first out-of-body seizure, I understand that you had a more visible seizure. Tell us about that. Yeah, we were, uh, it was in March and we were coming home from March break. So we were driving back from Florida and I had a, uh, like, you know, outward facing of totally visible seizure in the backseat of the car. Um, And so... Um, you know, had a seatbelt on and everything was fine from the driving perspective. I wasn't driving. I was too young. Um, but yeah, my sister would have been sitting next to me and quite frightening for them. So we got home and um, got to a doctor's and then ultimately to a neurologist. And that's where everything fell out from there, um, getting treatment. Yeah. So it sounds like your your diagnostic journey to an epilepsy diagnosis seems like it was actually relatively smooth, which is, um, which is pretty fortunate. Yeah, I do. I think I was lucky. Um, you know, the gap between that first time of my friend coming over to study and having that experience. And then the first outward seizure was 
was small. I don't remember the exact amount of time, but it wasn't significant. And then um, I did have uh, more outward facing seizures for uh, a period of maybe about six weeks, I think it was. We got them under control um, relatively quickly. So I was, I was, that was fortunate. I consider myself lucky. I know that that is not the experience that a lot of people have. Um, uh, I went into like the rest of that school year until June was rocky, but, um, but I was fortunate to be able to get things as under control as they could be. So you're, you're taking this medication, the more outward facing seizures are, are being controlled by the medication, but you were still having the out of body seizures and were you having them during school? How was that affecting your school year and your social life? Yeah. Uh, so I think in my experience, I was in a position where a lot of what I would experience, I could hide from people. Um, and I think that that was a blessing and a curse um, because I would deal with it sort of by myself. Um, so, and I didn't know really how to deal with it. So, you know, when I was left tired, uh, suddenly I was very, very tired. It was sort of on me to manage. Um, so I think socially I've had highs and lows as I've been managing um, the need for sleep and the need for balance in my life. Um, and if it was came down to studying, I know that I always had to have like a very focused environment for studying and I always had to do a lot to, you know, for memory work. So take a lot of notes. Um, there were just extra things that I would put in place and learn to put in place over the course of the years to manage um, what I was sort of keeping from everybody else. So did you tell your teachers or your friends about your diagnosis? In the early years, yes. Over time, I stopped. I think over time, you learn the goods and the bads of disclosing. Um, and so I also would dig my heels in more that I could handle it myself. Um, and so over time, I told fewer and fewer people. And did you have, you, know, you talk about, you know, memory issues, all of these things that, you know, I think a lot of people with epilepsy struggle with, be it from the seizures or the side effects from the medications. Um, you know, did you have any sort of IEP or accommodations throughout school or college? So I did not. So this was in like the 90s. And I, I think there were probably different programs by different names at the time. But I did not. That first, um, the like after the first diagnosis, I had a really uh, supportive teacher and a supportive set of friends to get me to the end of that school year. So March to June, I still think back to a couple of things that some friends did and they probably don't know what an impact they made. And that teacher that I had was very supportive. I know he was on the phone with my parents at the time, um, talking to them about how I was doing and getting me to the end of the school year successfully. So I think the school system was strong for me in with the programs that existed. Um, and this would have been, you know, late 80s, early 90s. Um, and then throughout high school, it was more a matter of uh, taking the time that I needed to study and I probably wasn't probably wasn't the most popular person right I probably had to go home and get some sleep and study a little bit more or go home and get some sleep to just enjoy the social time that I did have a little bit more than other people so I still had a friend network but it was probably smaller than it might have otherwise been yeah and 
as you left school and moved into the professional world, how did your epilepsy affect you then? Did you let your employers know? Yes, at times I did. And I think that like a spot and at times I didn't. I think I think, again, I was fortunate I was in a position where I didn't necessarily have to disclose because I wasn't in a spot where I was still having um, outward facing seizures that were like out of my control. And I think that that's a, you know, I was lucky to be in that position. I did in some scenarios choose to disclose because I wanted to do right by the people around me. And I, I remember, I remember one time actually you know, disclosing to my boss, very nice man. Um, I liked him. And I remember leaving and thinking, I'm not sure what, not sure what I achieved there. And I think if I had to do that moment over again, I think I would disclose, but I would also ask for, for some sort of provisions in return, not necessarily of him, but of like the larger system, you know, when people are disclosing, they're sharing, I think, a big part of themselves and they're doing it with the hope that like, if there's an emergency, everybody can be as, as empowered and as set up for success for that emergency as they can be. So I think if I had to do that moment over again, I would say, hey, let's get some first aid training in. Let's get um, some education going. I, I'm not an expert at all in the area of disclosure and I think there's probably a lot of legal components there that I don't know anything about, but to me, like there needs to be a trade-off there. If people are disclosing that there's also provisions for supporting them. And I think first aid training is useful for so many things beyond only epilepsy, like epilepsy for sure. And then so many other scenarios too. Yeah. I, I think that that is, um, that's incredible advice for anyone who is, is facing a moment of disclosure. Hi, this is Brandon from Cure Epilepsy. Since 1998, Cure Epilepsy has raised over $90 million to fund more than 280 epilepsy research grants in 17 countries. Learn what you can do to support epilepsy research by going to cureepilepsy.org. Now back to Seizing Life. I wonder, I'm just sort of personally curious, you know, you talk about the difference between the outward facing and the more internal seizures. What would someone see when they were looking at you when you were having those more out-of-body seizures or the, the internal seizures? What might someone notice? Is it more like an absent seizure where you're just sort of staring off into space? Um, no. So no one's ever noticed them. My dad caught it once. So he would be like the closest expert anyone's ever had for living with me with these things. And, uh, he caught it once in all of these years because my eyes changed a little bit um, and he saw me just get tired sort of right in front of him, but nobody else ever saw any of them. Um, and I can carry on a conversation during them. So I remember math class in grade school um, going on and, and just feeling like I was up in the ceilings while we were doing fractions, um, which is, a very weird experience. So I don't think about fractions ever without thinking about being in the ceiling of a, a math class. Um, yeah, so it was like parallel universes kind of thing. Epilepsy is so wild. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's like, there's just like, it's, it's bonkers. Carmen, I wonder, you mentioned earlier that you 
told fewer and fewer people about your diagnosis as time went on. Was that because of stigma you experienced or stigma you were afraid that you would experience? Yeah. I think, I think it's a little bit of both. And I think it's also about like what we internalize. So I think there's stigma that, um, there's definitely stigma attached to epilepsy. And I think there's, there's that coming from the outside world and having to whatever feels the the jokes um, or just deal with having had a seizure in public and um, people telling you about what happened after it happened. Um, so I think there's there's the stigma of epilepsy from the outside world, but I think also part of my struggle was my own internal understanding of how it changed what what it meant for me, how it changed my world. So did it change who I was and did it change what I was capable of? And so I think I struggled a lot with that second set of questions. And um, the first set, that first, you know, the external factors and worrying about the stigma from the outside world, like that's for sure a thing. We need to work on that through education and we need to fight that and train people and educate and um, have systems in place to better support people. But I think also that second set of questions was what was really key for me. Um, you know, how did it change who I was and did it change what I was capable of? And I think I spent a lot of time um, on those questions over the years. It's a lot of time because it's been, it's been about three decades, um, just over, so. Which sort of perfectly leads me into my next question. You know, what eventually made you decide to become public with your diagnosis? I think, to be honest, I think I just got old. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I, uh, I wish that I could I say love I was... that answer so very much. It's just so honest. And like, at some point, we just stop caring what other people think, right? Like that barrier just starts to come down and we settle into ourselves. And, and I think there's so much honesty in that, but please go yes. on. <laughs> yes, it's true. I, I, I just, um, yeah, I had just, I had just turned 40. Um, and I, you know, it was a casual comment from my dad. Cause I said something about being tired. He was like, well, don't forget, you know, you need the extra sleep. It was just something, um, my mom had passed away a few months before. So you think your life tweaks then too. And so suddenly I was just like, what am I doing? Like, I'm having the same argument with myself for over 30 years. At that point, it was like 30 and just a bit. It's been about 34 since. Um, and I, I think I was just done arguing with myself. And, and so, yeah, it was time to start doing something to sort of help the wider program and the wider need for, for more research, more funding, a cure uh, for epilepsy. And you decided to do that in kind of a big way, which I want to get to you had been taken up climbing, which is, you know, just sort of kind of dangerous, especially if you're like, I don't know, having active seizures. I I'm, I'm trying to wrap my head around this. Explain how you first got involved in climbing. Yeah. Uh, so I moved out west. I moved out. Uh, I'm originally from 
Ontario and I moved to Alberta, Canada, where the Canadian Rockies are. Uh, and I uh, lived in Calgary for 10 years and there's just a great social network, a great way to meet people is to go out on day hikes. Um, there's a lot of different small groups and communities that do that where you can meet new people. And I didn't know much about hiking and I, I got into it through the University of Calgary's Outdoor Program Center, a fantastic program that I believe is still, you know, 15 or so years later is still running strong. And hiking just sort of grew and evolved. And I went from doing a single simple day hike up to multi-day trips um, really around the world. And it just feels so good to be out walking in the mountains. Like there's nothing that feels better than that to me. Um, and my, as my skills developed, I started to take on more and more um, mountains. And yeah, I, I credit, there's one mountain called Big Sister um, in, um, on your, as you're driving from Calgary to Banff. And that was probably a pivot point for me. It's a bit of a scramble. It's a bit of a harder one. And it felt good doing it. And uh, I think at that point, I knew that I was onto something from a hobby perspective. It was developing into more. And are there any sort of security or safety precautions that you take um, above and beyond what the average person might, might do? From a gear perspective, there is not. Um, so uh, it's critical that I am just um, staying balanced and staying healthy when I am uh, doing these trips. And as those became multi-day trips, the lead up to the trip, I am really careful with just lifestyle stuff. So um, getting lots of sleep and um, staying balanced on any kind of food and, and drink intake. Um, and then when I'm on a trip, if it's a multi-day trip, I I do... I'm the first one to go to bed and I, I do stay like just really well organized uh, to keep everything, the stress down. Right. So I make sure that everything when I'm packing, everything is exceptionally well organized. And I think there's an element of not adding stress to um, an already uh, high stress environment. But mostly I just go to bed early a lot. <laughs> I think that's good <laughs> advice for all of us at some point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're all much safer when we, we're well rested. <laughs> So we're well rested. <laughs> yes. Now, tell us about your most recent climb to Mount Vincent and how you decided to raise money for Epilepsy Canada through that through that climb. Yeah. So I um I wanted to uh, go big, I guess. After 30 years of not talking about something, it's time to <laughs> <laughs> to get loud. Um. So I. Climbed Mount Vincent with a, a company based out of Colorado, Mountain Professionals. They're a wonderful organization. And uh, I had gone with them on past trips. And so I emailed them to see if uh, I was skilled enough for Mount Vincent. And the answer came back, yes, which was wonderful. And I emailed Epilepsy Canada and I just said, hey, I'm going to do this. How about we put a, some branding on it for epilepsy and see what we can do to make the most of it for um, finding a cure for epilepsy. Um, epilepsy Canada in particular, um, what I liked about them is that their mandate is to find a cure, so research for a cure. And I think programs are, support programs are absolutely critical. Um, but after 30 years, I wanted to be big. I'm like, let's find a cure for this. Let's get some money and let's do a really awesome location and a crazy mountain. So it became Mount Vincent. And if, for the folks who don't know where Mount Vincent is, can you share where it is exactly? 
Sure, sorry, yes. Uh, Mount Vincent is on Antarctica. It is the highest, <laughs> highest mountain um, on Antarctica. So we flew from Chile to um, Union Glacier Camp, Union Glacier Station on Antarctica, and then flew inland from there to base camp. And then you hike from base camp to to ultimately the summit. Um, it was it was incredible. Antarctica is gorgeous. We should absolutely protect it. <laughs> um, uh, and yeah, the climb itself was uh, stunning because there's just there's sun a lot, and then as soon as the sun goes away, it's of course very cold. It was like, like extreme temperatures. And the sun's out, it's beautiful, and then it it goes behind the mountain because it doesn't ever go down um, at this time of year. But it goes behind the mountain and it gets cold quick. Was there anything in particular that you had to do differently for this particular climb than you had done for previous climbs? <laughs> I had to pee into a pee bottle for the first time ever. Oh, lovely. <laughs> um, so I used a shiwi for the first time. Um, so I think guys have done this no problem, um, but I had never done it for climbing before. Uh, and that was definitely a new experience. <laughs> but it, <laughs> I don't know if that's what you meant. <laughs> uh, yeah, and other thing, mostly it's a lot of self-care um, because anything that happens down there is sort of 10 times worse. Um, so, because there's just very little support system. And so you, you don't want to get too sweaty when you're walking because then you'll get wet and that really matters. You know, if you were hiking in Kilimanjaro and you're sweating a lot, you're probably going to dry out pretty quick because it's pretty warm there. And that's not the case for Antarctica. So you want to be really careful with your body temperature control. Um, you want to be really careful with your eyewear because um, it's exceptionally bright and that can damage your eyes. We put we put on sunscreen at every single stop. So there was a lot of um, elements of self-care uh, self to prevent any injuries from happening. Um, you don't want to get to frostbite uh, for any reason at all. Wow, that is absolutely incredible. And I'm sure just like this amazing once in a lifetime experience. And then how incredible that you got to do that and raise money for epilepsy research. How much money did you end up raising? We raised $26,000 Canadian. That's yeah, incredible. I'm so, <laughs> yeah, I can't, I just, like, I start crying every time I say it. Um, I can't believe it. Uh, people were so supportive, um, and I'm so grateful for it. Uh, we started out, and I had no, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, I had no idea where we would land. Like, we were, I just had no idea, and I was blown away by the support from everybody. Um, my family and friends and also just strangers. I got notes from complete strangers um, that talked about their experiences with epilepsy and it was just wonderful and I just so much appreciate it. It's an amazing thing to raise that money. It's an amazing thing obviously to to do the climb but you know perhaps the biggest piece of it is that it was the first time that you shared your story publicly and and so yeah. I can only imagine all of the emotion tied into that. So now that you have gone public with your story, what does the future hold for you for climbing and fundraising? I would like to keep going. I would like to climb more and raise more. Um, and the combination, I had climbed different mountains before, but the combination on this one was just undeniably uh, fulfilling. And so I just want to keep going with that. Um, 
I'm doing very, very early thinking and early planning about what might come next. Um, but yeah, I just want to keep, keep going down this path. It's been really rewarding. And, you know, to that end, I wonder, you know, you didn't share your story for 30 years. And now that you have, how are you feeling about having it be public, having it out there? Um, how does it make you feel? It's, it's like a, like a cliche, like it's, it's just really uh, freeing or liberating. Um, yeah, I, I feel like a cliche because I definitely was a cynic and definitely was closed off in the past. And so uh, it's as empowering and freeing as they talk about it being when you just hit acceptance and you're just like, yep, this is it. This is, you know, I have this disease and I manage it and um, and now I move forward from there. I wish I had gotten there faster for sure. I don't recommend <laughs> the path that I took to anyone because um, it is just as liberating as everybody always describes these sorts of things to be. Um, there's fear, sure. Um, I think there always will be an apprehension, but um, the benefits outweigh that. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I can imagine the stress, you know, you talk about stress being one of your big seizure triggers and that becoming public kind of probably relieved some of that stress of that weight that you're carrying around of having this secret of sorts. Yeah. And I think it like, because you just end up having to be confident about it and confident about who you are and just say, yes, um, you know, this is me and I am still capable of these things. And so, yeah, the stress is gone because you're not, it feels lighter. It feels physically lighter for sure. So in a way, being public with your epilepsy diagnosis has helped your epilepsy in some yes. ways. Yes, <laughs> yes, I think like, I think it has because yeah. And I think that's the part where like cynical me for freaking 30 years, oh, sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, like I, it was just, it, it wasn't the way to go. It really wasn't. Um, it has helped me continue to manage it better and continue to be okay with saying, okay, these are the things that I need to get through the day. Well, and I wonder how did uh, your friends and your coworkers respond when, when they learned about it? Everybody's been very supportive and no one's been like super direct trying to make you answer like a thousand hard questions right um on the spot everyone's just been supportive and lots of lots of support on social media and lots of support in person and i think the landscape's changed too right like there is more support for these things and for being truly authentic um in our in society in general and that's a good thing we need to be talking about all aspects of epilepsy, um, all aspects that a person needs support in. Yeah, 100%. And I think, you know, there's something to be said about that in in how times have changed and progressed. And, and part of that is, you know, the double-edged sword of social media, you know, whereas in, I mean, first of all, you were like a teenager, but, you know, in the 90s or then even in like the early 2000s, before social media really exploded, there wasn't an accessible global platform for people to share this sort of information. And so it was very isolating. You didn't understand how many people there were who also had epilepsy. So we think that, you know, the times 
allow for more empathy and for more understanding and more connection. So I wouldn't beat yourself up too bad for not <laughs> disclosing this in 1999 when, you know, there's just not enough information out there, right? It's, it is so much easier to share our stories now because we know we're not alone. Right. Um, yeah, that's a great point. That's a great point because the people that, that reached out through different forums that were strangers are just so like, a, a, it just landed so well. I appreciated it so much. And that never would have happened in the late nineties, you know, before those connections existed. So what would you like the public to know now about epilepsy that you think is misunderstood or just, um, or not understood at all? I think I'd like people to understand that there's a whole person that needs healing, um, not not just a seizure. Like, I think there's the before and after the seizure that's critical. There's during the seizure that you know that's it's a exceptionally violent experience for anyone to live, and and we have to manage that. We have to treat it. But I think we need people to understand that epilepsy is about healing. Epilepsy is really about healing a whole person. Um, the things that happen in the weeks after a seizure, um, anything tied to mental health, uh, and just the balance that a person needs um, in order to, to, to ward off any triggers that they have. So I would say we have to heal the whole person, not just the seizure. Yeah, 100%. And that's something that, you know, we hear over and over again from the people who are diagnosed with epilepsy themselves and, and from caregivers that it isn't the diagnosis isn't just the seizures. It's, it's the time in between the seizures too, the anticipating the seizures and the recovering from them and all of the ways that it affects the life. And um, I think we can get really, really focused on the seizures themselves, but there is, there is so much more, as you said, so well, I just want to thank you so much for sharing your story, having the bravery to do that, for raising awareness through these incredible climbs that you do, which is just absolutely wild and amazing, and raising money for epilepsy research and for understanding and valuing the importance that research plays in all of this. And so I just think that you're incredible, and I think that I could probably talk to you all day, but... I thank won't, you. I won't. I'm going to let you go. Um, yeah. Carmen, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You have been an absolute delight. Thank you very much. I really appreciate the opportunity and yeah, uh, the platform to, to share. So thank you so much for everything that you're doing. Thank you, Carmen, for sharing your story with us and for raising awareness and funds for epilepsy research. We wish you the best of luck on your future climbs. Cure Epilepsy has been dedicated to funding epilepsy research for 25 years. In that time, we have raised more than $90 million to support over 280 research projects in 17 countries. This investment in research has resulted in numerous discoveries and advances that are bringing us closer to our ultimate goal, a cure for epilepsy. You can help us achieve that goal by visiting cureepilepsy.org forward slash donate. Cure Epilepsy, inspiring hope and delivering impact. Thank you. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of Cure Epilepsy.
The information contained herein is provided for general information only and does not offer medical advice or recommendations. Individuals should not rely on this information as a substitute for consultations with qualified healthcare professionals who are familiar with individual medical conditions and needs. Cure Epilepsy strongly recommends that care and treatment decisions related to epilepsy and any other medical conditions be made in consultation with a patient's physician or other qualified healthcare professionals who are familiar with the individual's specific health situation.